Hello, and welcome to the I Just Really Like Horror podcast. My name is Samantha, and I will be your host as I talk about all things horror. Not a whole lot of news this week in the horror front. Only thing of note that I saw was a comment from Kevin Feige over at Marvel Studios, who did confirm that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which is scheduled to come out March 25th, 2022, is going to be a scary movie. It will be, quote, thrilling, scary, and mind-bending. And importantly, the director behind this movie is going to be Sam Raimi, who is known for everything from the Evil Dead series to the original Spider-Man movies. I'm excited to see what's going to happen when he gets to combine his horror energies with his superhero energies. And I'll be happy to get a horror superhero film that isn't Brightburn. There isn't a trailer or anything yet, just little tidbits of news. Regardless, I'm excited to see what this movie looks like. Now for the main part of this week's episode. I'm taking a look at a beloved movie from the early 2010s. It's a movie about love, sacrifice, and freezing weather. And if you really thought I was going to be talking about Disney's Frozen, you clicked on the wrong podcast because we talk about horror movies here. This is Frozen 2010. Are you guys sure about this? Yeah, yeah, it works all the time. All you have to do is go over there and you say like... I said that I could pay for all three lift tickets and then I left my credit card at the gas station. Right. Totally on money. Just not enough for all three. <laughs> Last run, gotta make it count. This movie, written and directed by Adam Green of the Hatchet series, is about three people who get stuck in a chairlift 50 feet in the air when the ski resort they're at closes for the week. It stars Emma Bell as Parker, who horror fans will recognize as Molly from Final Destination 5, Sean Ashmore as Joe, who movie fans will recognize as Iceman from the X-Men movies, and Kevin Zegers as Dan, who you might know as the kid from the Airbud movies. It also features a cameo from 
Kane Hodder, who is my favorite Jason Voorhees, who also acts as the stunt coordinator for this movie. So while the initial premise of this film is quite terrifying, I don't like the actual movie. I know, I know a lot of people out there like this movie, and that's fine. For me, though, without getting into any spoilers here, I found the three main characters to be unlikable and unintelligent. Yes, it sucks that they're on a chairlift for a week, but they did it to themselves. And nothing happens in the events leading up to them getting stuck that makes me care about them. There are quite a few scenes that are obviously meant to be sad or scary, but I found myself rolling my eyes rather than feeling bad for them. And that's all I've got for the non-spoiler section. If you haven't seen it, I do encourage you to watch it before proceeding just so you'll know what I'm talking about, but I don't think this movie is good. With that in mind, here come the spoilers. Proceed with caution. So, as I said, I didn't like this movie, thus the majority of the comments I'm going to make are going to be negative. But, just as no film is completely perfect, almost no film is completely bad either. So, I'm going to start this section with something good and end it with something good. And to start with, I need to commend everybody who worked on this film because they shot it on location. There are no sets, there's no green screen, the actors were genuinely 50 feet in the air, on a chairlift, in the snow. And director Adam Green was up there with them shooting. This decision to do everything on location pays off in dividends. Everything looks real and feels real because it is real. So kudos to them. That is not easy to do. Well done. And back to the negative stuff for a bit. As I said in the non-spoiler section, this situation is of the character's own making. They absolutely did this to themselves. One of the very first things we see them do is trying to get onto the ski lift without having to pay for tickets. This despite the fact that they could clearly afford the tickets, and they didn't care about what potential consequences could fall on the ski lift operator. And then they went and dropped $100 on the bribe for the guy anyway. At that point, just go buy the fucking tickets. And at the end of the day, when they're closing and the guy says no, for the love of God, listen to him. It's not just that he doesn't want to, which he obviously doesn't, but also there are safety protocols to make sure people don't get left behind. Now, of course, having said that, the ski resort absolutely dropped the ball on this too. After some intense Google searches, I found a document of procedures and policies from a different ski resort. And one of the procedures was how to close down the chairlift. And one of the things that this entails is having a ski patrol ride up the chairlift as the last person. The chairlift then proceeds to keep going until those ski patrol officers come back down. And then, and only then, do you shut the chairlift lift off. I also worked at a theme park around this same time, and the ride I worked at had a similar procedure at the end of the day where a worker would go by themselves through the ride, and only once they reached the end did the ride actually get shut off. So the fact that this resort didn't have a procedure like that in place is seriously neglectful, and rightfully so could lead to lawsuits from the families of these three. And yes, the chairlift operator will absolutely be found at fault as well. Just everybody sucks. Everybody's dumb. God damn it. And while we're on the subject of dumb things, I don't buy for a second that that cable was razor sharp. It's kind of well known by now, but Mythbusters actually tested a myth similar to this. They were testing whether or not you could use a pair of jeans to slide down a ski lift cable in case you ever got stuck on a ski lift. And yes, while the jeans did tear, it wasn't from the cable being sharp. It was either from the weight they were having to carry, 
or it was due to the friction between the jeans and the cable. If you didn't want them shimmying across the cable right away, it would have been a better explanation to simply have them not be physically strong enough. Have them try but get tired easily, or make the comment earlier that they're out of shape. But razor-sharp cable? No, absolutely not. Anyway, going back to the kids now. Parker, for the love of God, stop putting your bare hand on metal. Also, yes, I understand you're in a stressful situation, but why would you put yourself in such a position that the glove falling to the ground would even be a possibility? In order to survive this, you need every resource that you have. But then, once the glove was gone, she did basically nothing to protect her hand. She didn't pull the hand into her sleeve. She didn't tuck it into her jacket. She just let the hand hang out and touch every metal surface she could. It wasn't until she wakes up with her hand cemented to the bar that she goes, Oh, I should probably protect my hand. Which, how do you not notice your hand is getting to that point anyway? Having your hand be that cold would be so painful. That hand should basically be unusable by the end of the movie and she'll be lucky if she gets to keep it. I have a similar comment for all of them because they don't do anything to protect their faces either. Do something rather than just mindlessly exposing your bare skin to the air. Wrap your scarves around your face. Close your hoods. Why? Why do you keep exposing yourself to the cold like that? The cold never bothered me anyway. I'm sorry, I couldn't get through this review without at least one Disney joke. Alright, we'll leave Parker alone for a minute and talk about a dumb decision that a different character made. Dan. Dan, Dan, Dan. Why would you jump? And if you were indeed so desperate you had to jump, why did you pencil dive? I really think they decided to have Dan jump to show that jumping was not an option. Another super thorough Google search shows me that you can survive a jump from that height, but you're not escaping without some broken bones. The best bet if you're trying to survive a fall from that height is if there's something to break your fall along the way like tree branches. But in this instance, there is nothing there. It's just a straight 50-foot drop to the ground. The only other option I can think of for surviving a fall from that height would be if you're able to roll on impact. This is a technique utilized in parkour when people are jumping from big heights. If you roll on impact and then keep going, it channels the momentum from the fall and it helps avoid injury. Although I'm not sure how that would work on a snowy surface as opposed to solid ground. Honestly, as sucky as it sounds, I think their best bet for survival would have been just staying put. They know for a fact that the ski resort is going to be opening again on Friday. They have access to water in the form of snow and ice that they can melt. Humans can survive for up to three weeks without food, which they had just eaten prior to getting on the chairlift, so they should be okay for a few days until help arrives. And again, protect your bare skin from the cold, huddle up to each other for warmth, and just wait it out. Yes, it's going to suck. You're going to be cold, but you'll be alive. You wouldn't be laying on the ground with two severely broken legs being eaten by wolves. And Dan's death scene is probably the biggest example of what I said earlier. Obviously, it's intended to be horrible because Dan is being eaten alive while Parker and Joe are forced to listen, but it just felt silly to me. Even though, yes, he's got severely broken legs, he's in pain, he had access to his snowboard to use as a weapon or as a mode of transport. Instead of doing literally anything to improve his odds of survival, he just sits there cowering until he dies. 
Anyway, Joe's turn. I will give Joe some credit because of the three of them, he was the one who gave surviving the best shot. In spite of the razor-sharp cable, he managed to get to the ground, he got a weapon, and he got away from the ski lift. Of the three, I feel like he was the most decent. Dan was the main instigator of the situation, and Parker just kind of went along with it for some reason. I feel like when Dan's not around, Joe's a pretty good guy. So I found it almost insulting that he died and Parker lived. Parker made so many bad choices, I feel like in a different movie she would have been the first to die. In some ways, I feel like the only reason she lived is so the movie could have a quote-unquote final girl. Which, if that is the case, more final boys please. But anyway, yes, Joe manages to get to the ground, he manages to get away, and then he gets eaten by the same good boys that killed Dan. And I suppose his sacrifice is also what cleared the way for Parker to get away once she gets down from the chairlift. Because the wolves clearly see her escaping, they clearly know she's there, but I guess they were full from eating all the humans already, and that cleared the way for Parker to get down the mountain and get to the road where she got help. Okay, and as promised, one final good thing about this movie. The wolves are great. I was able to find some behind-the-scenes footage of the wolves and their trainers working, and they are wonderful and I love them. I want to give them all treats. It was a lot of fun to see the main wolfy boy, named Maverick apparently, be all snarly and angry. but as soon as the trainer told him to stop, Maverick stopped growling and started wagging his tail and he was just a good boy. Shout out to this movie's main animal trainer, Sled Reynolds, who has been an animal trainer and coordinator since 1981. He has worked on everything from Titanic to Scary Movie 5 and beyond. He and the other trainers on set kept everything under control and safe for humans and animals alike. There's actually a shot that gets into the movie where when Dan is about to be attacked by the wolves, one wolf gets a little too close to him. And when that happened, the trainers immediately stepped in and stopped the filming until they could get everything back under control and safe. Massive shout out to the wolves and the animal trainers. Y'all are the real MVPs. And yeah, that's about all I have. I don't like this movie. I don't think it's very good. It's a scary premise, but it's very thin and it doesn't carry a full movie by itself. Hence why I don't have as many points to talk about for this episode. I feel like for this premise to work, it would almost have to be a short film. It's three people stuck on a chairlift. There's not a whole lot there. For a rating, I'm going to give this movie three out of 10. However, if they remake this movie and shoot it from the wolf's perspective, I will give it a higher rating. Alright, and now for something a little bit more fun, this week's audience question. What is your favorite winter activity? Do you like to go skiing, sledding, curling up by the fire with a hot drink? What's your poison for the winter season? My personal activity of choice is curling up with a mug of hot chocolate and watching horror movies. I'm originally from Florida, so you're not going to catch me outside in the winter willingly. Then over on Twitter, One Blue Cycle says short walks and warm drinks. Hell yeah. I'm sure the warm drinks feel great after being out in the cold. Then Horror Awaits says, hot tub drinking. All right, whatever floats your boat. And over on Slasher, Jerry Dandridge says, rotating the bodies. Y'all need Jesus.
All right, and that is it for this week. Next week, it's Christmas time. So what better way to celebrate than with an OG slasher, Black Christmas from 1974. You can follow me on the social medias, on Slasher and Instagram at I Just Really Like Horror, and Twitter at I Just Like Horror. My name is Samantha. This has been the I Just Really Like Horror podcast, and have a spooky day.